0: Hello, my name is Pauline Blanc, and this is Developing Carbon Stories, a podcast about product developers developing the most innovative and impactful carbon projects around the world. Developing Carbon Stories is a project by Abatable, a carbon procurement and intelligence platform that enables companies to purchase high-quality carbon offsets. During each episode, we speak with an entrepreneur from a different part of the carbon ecosystem and talk about their journey so far and how they are acting on climate change. In this episode, we're speaking with Chris McKinney, Chief Commercial Officer at Burn Manufacturing, a clean cooking company producing efficient biomass, liquid fuel, and electric cookstoves. Hi, Chris. Thank you so much for joining our podcast today.
1: Hey, Pauline. Oh, thanks so much for for having me. And, and um, you know, having it's great to have the opportunity to be on the podcast. We really appreciate a lot of the work that Abatable is, is doing. So glad to be talking to you today.
0: Great. Thanks. Yes, we also really value. We've been working with Bern for a while now. It's been a, a great collaboration so far. Um, let's dive right in. I have a couple of questions for you. The first one is, I was really curious about how you came to work into this space, into the climate space. Can you tell us a bit about that?
1: Sure, yeah. Yeah, well, I've always had um, a love of nature and, and an interest in doing work that meaningfully contributes to, to a lot of the biggest problems that we have in in the world today so that's been kind of a a through line through through all of my my life my first kind of foray into climate was in in university uh where i did a a bit of research on biofuels and also did research relating to pv solar um but my my work in this space really started in earnest with with burn um when i joined burn uh I, i had i found the company very very serendipitously so Back in 2013, I had landed originally a placement in Kenya with Peace Corps, which is an American uh, program that places volunteers in, in low-income countries. However, one week before I was meant to jump on a plane to Kenya, um, the Westgate terrorist attack happened here. Um, and that forced Peace Corps to exit the the country entirely. So kind of just like that, a whole year of uh, planning of, uh, that I put into my life went up in smoke. Uh, and left me kind of at a loss. I I still had my heart really set on coming to Kenya, though, and and was, yeah, very determined to get on that plane. So I asked around a bit, and I happened to have an acquaintance who uh, knew about Burn, and he told me this fascinating story of this kind of bootstrapped group of founders with with this very ambitious plan to set up a state-of-the-art, clean cook stove uh, factory and business in Kenya, Um, but to do that with no money and, and very few staff. So, I had never really heard of um, clean cooking at that time, but I thought, well, you know, I'm an engineer. I, you know, they, these kind of people uh, sound like my kind of people, and uh, maybe maybe they could use my help. So, I got in touch with uh, Burn and took a bit of a leap of faith, jumped on a plane, came out to Kenya, and started working on the build out of our um, first first production line. So that was 10 years ago, and um, I've been with Burn ever since. Um, in a variety of roles kind of setting up and starting several different functions and in, in departments at the company uh, and leading me to to where I am today looking after the whole commercial uh, side of our business.
0: That's amazing what a what a great story so you were really with the first founders and employees and it'd just be great to hear what the vision was for Burn, you know 10 years ago and how how did it come uh from a how did it become from a you know move from a vision to the, the company that it is today
1: yeah yeah so the idea for for burn was really born uh with our founder and our ceo peter scott um peter had a really moving experience in the 90s uh seeing f- deforestation firsthand in the congo um caused by charcoal uh production and this um kind of seeing this tragedy of these old growth forests on the path to extinction, he uh, began asking himself a question that still drives the rest of our team today, which is what is the single most effective thing that he could do and we could do to save forests? And what we found uh, really is that the very best way to to drive down um, deforestation in Africa is to provide improved cooking technology to the billions of people who currently um, cook on open fires and cooking with with charcoal and and wood. So that was the really the whole um, kind of initial idea and and vision behind burn was to set out to develop the world's very best um, cook stoves that could entirely replace open fires and other types of uh, traditional and, and inefficient stoves. Um so just to kind of back up a bit and give give some context to that to that cooking problem more broadly, Today, around 2.4 billion people lack access to to clean cooking, and when we say that, we're talking about mostly women and girls who are affected by this. They're on average spending an hour, an hour and a half um, every day collecting firewood, and then another two or three hours every day cooking over open open fires. Uh, you know, for us, it's kind of hard to imagine, but um, if you can, it's, it's basically the equivalent of lighting a campfire inside your house every day three times a day just to cook so this kind of cooking is incredibly obviously smoky and inefficient and has huge health uh, ramifications for women and children um in terms of respiratory illness i mean just in terms of respiratory illness illness alone around four million people die prematurely every year from from cooking on open fires um but it's not just health you know it's it, it turned out that um there's a whole range of of problems associated with this this lack of clean cooking, you know. It's also bankrupting many families, especially across Africa. Charcoal, in particular, is is a really uh, a big contributor to poverty. With many families spending up to like twenty percent of their budget on on charcoal for for cooking. So it was it's kind of interesting. Like it was initially a a deforestation uh, mission that that moved us into this clean cooking space but once you kind of fully grasp the the poverty and the public health issues of this problem as well they can even make the environmental issues um, seem to pale a bit in comparison but um, we really have to if you take a step back look at clean cooking also as a major environmental and, and climate change issue so just um, cooking on solid fuels alone is represents around three percent of global emissions that's about the same as the entire Aviation industry, which we know is a major um, contributor to climate change, and when you look at it from the deforestation aspect, um, cooking on solid fuels is also responsible for about a third of the greenhouse gases, uh, gas emissions that arise from, from deforestation. So it's a, it's a really multifaceted problem that has environmental and many other kind of ramifications, and unfortunately is still, is still getting a lot bigger, even just in the last twenty years. The number of people relying on these solid fuels to cook has increased um, by another fifty percent. So, burn was really founded on the on the mission to address all of these all of these challenges. And um, yeah, so I can I can also dive in and tell you a little bit more about kind of how burn is is doing this.
0: Yeah, that would be great.
1: So yeah, it was all kind of um, our whole uh, operation was was set up with the idea of making the world's very best uh, cook stoves and then distributing them to, to, the, to the people who needed them the most. Um, and what we see now with, um, well into uh, doing this is, when women adopt our stoves, uh, all of a sudden, all of the time that they're saving um, from collecting firewood, they're able to spend that on, on other things, other more productive things. They're able to, they're also saving a lot of money, which gets reinvested into education and better uh, food for their families. And of course, they're saving a lot of fuel, which um, ultimately helps them reduce a lot of carbon emissions. Last year, we just had a uh, independent peer reviewed study that came out specifically on burn stoves in Kenya, and it found that our flagship stove, the G-Kokoa, uh, when they measured all of these benefits uh, stacked up, they found a net benefit to the users of the stoves and to society of over a thousand dollars over the course of the over the stove uh, the course of the stove's lifetime. So it's a a really kind of profound impact that these products have been able to to create. And we've been able to do this um, mainly because we've been laser focused on making products that are truly usable and truly the highest performing uh, that they can be in a real world environment. Um, So our approach is to meet people where they are based on their incomes and based on the fuels that they can afford and deliver them uh, the very best stoves that make sense in that in that context. Um, so this r- approach is really starting to bear a lot of fruit, even just over the last 10 years. Um, we've added a range of uh, products to our portfolio, covering, covering wood, charcoal, ag waste, LPG, and most recently, uh, electricity as well. So today, we are the largest modern cook stove company in Africa, um, and we recently uh, crossed over the milestone of delivering our three millionth stove, which we're incredibly proud of. Um, we employ about 2,500 people between our headquarters and our two factories in Nairobi and across our other field teams in, in 10 other countries.
0: That's amazing. And first of all, massive congrats on that milestone. I think it's it's really huge. And I personally really love cook stoves and love burn for everything that you've mentioned around. It's not just tackling deforestation, but it's tackling gender issues. It's tackling health. Um, and I think I mentioned this to you when I uh, when we, we met uh, in Egypt at COP27. I actually wrote my master's dissertation on, on deforestation and, and cookstoves and focusing on Haiti. And, of course, this was, like, student-level research, so not as advanced as the work that you're doing. But the two main things that came out that were really interesting was adoption was really one of the main issues. And it was interesting because a lot of the people I spoke to had this vision of, well, there was two issues. First of all, um, a lot of organizations were handing out cookstoves for free, uh, cookstoves or other or alternatives. And what happened is that they were then selling them on to neighboring countries like Dominican Republic. And there was also this thought that food doesn't taste as good if it's not cooked with charcoal. Um, so that was just my experience. I wanted to check with you, what are some of the challenges that you faced, whether it's adoption, whether it's any, something else, can you tell us a bit about that? That'd be great.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, we've, um, yeah, we've kind of had no, no shortage of, of challenges, uh, over the, over the last, uh, 10 years, many of them, um, self-inflicted, I think, but, uh, for, for good reason. Um, you know, I'd, I'd kind of hone in probably on three, three major challenges that we've had. Um, one, um, there was a major lack uh, in Africa, at least, at least of any kind of uh, clean cook stove infrastructure, um, be that awareness or distribution channels or yeah, manufacturing capacity or any of this. So we really had to build every piece of that value chain our, ourselves um, from R&D to the production, to the distribution, to the after sales service. And that ended up being a a major lift to to build all of these functions vertically integrated into our company Um, number two we've we've had a major uh cost challenge so um you know we've always believed in the um, the dignity of our customers above all else and the fact that they deserve really the very best technologies that that are available to them and so we've set out to build like the the most fuel efficient and the most easiest the easiest to use stoves possible but in doing so, we've developed products that um, would normally, in a normal commercial environment, cost upwards of forty dollars, uh, which is just out of reach for for many of the people who who really need our stoves. Um, and thirdly, we've had a financing um, challenge. You know, when uh, especially when we started uh, operations back in 2013, carbon markets were really in the doldrums at that time. Um, and even if you were using carbon markets for cooking, it, you could only kind of use that to maybe deliver a few dollars per stove. So nowhere near enough to fundamentally change anything about delivering these stoves or the affordability of of these stoves. And and just in general, there was a belief that um, cook stove projects at that time were not very investable. So those have kept us very occupied over the last uh, 10 years. Um, Fortunately, I think we've now really cracked the first challenge. We've built out all of that infrastructure. all the way from the ideation of a stove to the delivery of that stove to a home in the last mile and and beyond that point. So that's great to have all of that infrastructure now, now built out. Um, and really in the last three years, we've made significant ha- headway on the affordability and, and financing challenges as well, in no small part due to carbon markets. Um, carbon has had a really transformational impact on our on our business above everything else, it really enables us to subsidize the price of our stoves to a level that's accessible to the mass market. Um, we don't uh, subsidize all the way down to, to free in general for some of the reasons that, um, that you've mentioned, um, but we, we do uh, place very large um, subsidies on the end cost of the, of the stove to the, to the consumer. And in most cases, this subsidy results in something like a 5 to 10x increase in uptake uh, versus a normal... Commercial price, so it's just this massive enabler of of mass market adoption. Mm. I mean, just as one example, um, for our wood stove projects in Kenya, we've been able to reduce the cost of those stoves by around 95 percent, down to around three U.S. dollars. So we're able to now deliver those stoves to the last mile in a way that's accessible to to the people who need them. So yeah, I mean, today it's I guess our scale is really only limited by by um, the flow of that financing um, coming in, you know, the challenge today is, even though we're getting out currently around a quarter million stoves every month, uh, that's still barely scratching the surface. If we look at the scale of of the overall um, problem.
0: Um, thank you so much, Chris. I have a kind of a follow up question um, based on that. How? So, of course, you know, when you started talking about all the issues that cook stoves and burn uh are tackling around health deforestation and all of that that's a great uh, great pitch for investors and and for companies who are looking to buy your credits what's your pitch to people uh that are buying your cook stove or, or that you want to sell your cook stoves to how is it that you're pitching it to them
1: yeah yeah i mean um great great question it's um It's interesting because there's been a lot of debate uh, in our industry about what that pitch should look like, what that communication should look like in order to um, get people to uh, convince people to not just adopt stoves, but also to use um, the stoves. I mean, a major kind of buzzword in in the space for a long time has been behavior change uh, with the idea being that, you know, you need to educate people on the benefits of clean cooking uh, for them to be willing to adopt and and use these technologies. You know, but I think we've really proven out now that if you have a really good product, if you have something that people really love and they love to use um, and it really delivers benefits to them, that that is not the key barrier to adoption or to purchasing a a cook stove, that the key barrier really is an affordability um, barrier. I I think what we've really seen is people who cook on open fires, for the most part, are really intimately aware of the... Of the downsides of of what they're doing, they they know they experience it firsthand, uh, and um, they the, the real problem is that they just don't have any other accessible option most of the time. So when we uh, go and deliver a, a stove to a home, we're yes, of course, we're talking about the the main benefits that that the stove will deliver to that home. So those are often again the time savings uh, that they'll see by um, um, you know spending less time collecting fuel. Um, money that they'll save if, if they're buying that fuel, um, the reduction in smoke. Um, but we're also selling a story around, um, you know, kind of moving up the energy ladder and, and moving to a, to more aspirational products. I mean, of course, everybody sees a, a path for themselves in life of, of kind of moving up a socioeconomic ladder. And our our, our cookstoves are, in in most cases, a big a piece of that where people, you know, compared to a, uh, open fire or a traditional stove that you might hide away, uh, put in a corner of a home where people can't see it. What we often see with our cook stoves is that people are actually, they're putting them like, uh, when they're not using them in the main living area, or even if they're in a kitchen area, they're shown off in that kitchen area. And, and it speaks to people really viewing these as, uh, uh, like a, a big step up in, or, uh, uh kind of enabler of mobility that they're, Proud of, so we also focus heavily on that uh, at, at kind of the point of distribution.
0: Thank you so much. That's that's really great to hear. Um. So you mentioned in the challenges. So, uh, manufacturing cost financing. Was there were there any other challenges that maybe you know you were really the team was really surprised by something that you really didn't expect uh, would be a challenge. In, in along you know the last 10 years that you've been working on this any big surprises
1: oh gosh yeah Well, um <laughs> I feel like my job is uh has been just 10 years of, of consistently finding surprises <laughs> and then figuring out uh um way, ways to uh to deal with them um yeah it's been uh so it, it's been a, r- a real roller coaster the way that we've that we've kind of gone about this we didn't have really in place a perfect plan and, and, or did, nor did we know all of the variables, um, kind of going into building this operation. We really started it with the idea that, um, this problem needed to be solved and we would find the solutions, uh, no matter what it, no matter what it took. So, uh, along the way, we've kind of made lots of, uh, mistakes and we, you know, we, especially early on when carbon markets were not really a viable option to sustain the, the business, um, we, we tried and tested many different, um, kind of, uh, um, uh, models, uh, most of which, uh, ended in, in failure, uh, to just to try to find, uh, s- some kind of, um, workable, workable solution that could keep us alive in, in the, in the interim. Um, yeah, so I know, uh, I, I guess I don't have one specific standout one that comes to mind, but it really has been just a journey of a million surprises.
0: I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure. Especially in the current uh, V C M environment, I'm sure every day is a every day is for new surprise. <laughs> um, I had a moving on slightly. I wanted to ask you a little bit about how the stakeholders that you work with perceive carbon markets, and and you know how much of the carbon credit element is is explained to the people who are who are selling the stoves, who are using the stoves. How does that? How does that actually work?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's interesting. It's it's been a bit easier for us in a in a couple ways on that front. I guess one, you know, we're we're all here on on the ground where our projects are being run. That's everybody from our C suite all the way down to the uh, staff on the factory floor and the and the last mile field agents distributing the stoves. All of those teams are either here at our headquarters in in Nairobi or. Um, are part of our operations across one of the 10 countries that we that we operate in. And I think that really differentiates us from uh, many other players in the space who do have more scattered operations, where maybe you have one hub of expertise. Um, maybe your design teams are in London or San Francisco, and your finance teams are in New York, and or in your manufacturing maybe is in India or China. This is... Um, just not really the approach that we wanted to take from the beginning. And it's helped keep a kind of cohesive vision in, in the company uh, throughout our journey. I think, you know, when when we started out, many people thought it was kind of crazy to commit to serving the continent from within the continent. And th- there, was a, there were a lot of assumptions made that that came with obvious trade-offs. Well, sure, your products can be closer to the end market, but then they'll be more expensive to land in those markets. Well, you're you know, you can enable local engineering talent, but then you won't be able to iterate as quickly on designing your products as maybe an experienced you know t- team in San Francisco would be able to. But from the beginning, we saw those things not really as trade-offs, but as things that could be win-wins in the long run, and I think that has borne out to be true. I mean, as we speak, we're now able to land uh, our products in most African markets at a lower cost than if we had manufactured them off offshore um, and and we've really proven proven this out at scale and this this kind of ethos has also really helped us um, on the carbon communication uh, piece that that you've mentioned we're we're able to kind of keep one cohesive message for the company but I think the other thing that it really lands home is we're we're operating in a part of the world that is the the part of the world that's most impacted by climate change, and that especially includes our staff and our customers um they're they're intimately aware of the impacts of of climate change much more so than <laughs> like many of the people I knew when I was living in in the United States. Um, they've seen the weather patterns shift. They've seen uh, crop failures, and and um, so so for them this this issue is really acute. In a way, it's the beauty of the, the type of project that we run is that we are um, not just you know reducing the emission of CO two and or having impacts on these other. Um, uh, in these other areas that I described, but we're doing that uh, for stakeholders, for you know for users and for staff who are already the people who are most vulnerable to climate change. And I think that's a, that's kind of a beautiful synergy that the product uh, that the project has. and it and it really makes um, kind of the um, emissions benefits and the environmental benefits of our products also very acute uh, for our staff and and our users. Um, it takes very little kind of explaining to kind of show that, okay, well, here's how, um, you know, these kinds of fuel efficient or or, or fuel switch stoves um, are, you know, stopping deforestation and, and cutting out emissions from fuels that otherwise would have been burned. And that that we can trace a, re- a very clear line from that back to uh, the climate change problems that we're experiencing today in these countries.
0: Yeah, thank you. That makes that makes a lot of sense, and I really yeah commend the approach that you're taking. Um, as you know, I'm obsessed with policy. Policy is my what I focus on all day, every day. Um, and I wanted to ask you, um, what is it? What's the legislative landscape currently, uh, for developing projects like Burns? What are the challenges that you're facing? Anything that's you're particularly excited about? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah,
1: um, yeah. Well, I'd say for most of our history, actually, the kind of the nature of our our business has meant that we actually had kind of a lower legislation and policy bur- burden than maybe some other types of projects. You know, fundamentally our operation at the end of the day was, you know, producing these stoves and distributing them. And um, that that didn't really, you know, other than having to ab- abide by, you know, a few fairly cookie cutter um, sets of policies here and there. It, it, it's been quite quite straightforward. Obviously, in the last few years, as um, carbon has acted as this major um, accelerant for our business and, um, you know, allowed us to gras- vastly grow our scale, um, but also, you know, added this other element in, into, our, into our business, that opens up a whole new world of um, kind of legislation and policy that we have to concern ourselves with. You know, in the markets that we operate in across Africa, this uh, carbon policy is still very nascent for the for the most part. I think most policymakers we speak to really um, d- don't have a, a strong concept of of kind of how it works and and how it should be governed. So a lot of our work at this stage is yeah, it's very early stage it's just engaging with um, all of the relevant stakeholders and decision makers and um, walking them through how how these projects uh, work and illuminating the the benefits that our products bring uh in in terms of their ability to um save lives and, and forests
0: you No, know, absolutely and i personally always struggle with with cookstoves and policy because if you're thinking about a, a nature-based project you know it tends to be tied to the land and then you can think about carbon rights and who has the right to selling those credits from a a land ownership or a tenure perspective, but with Coke stoves, it's, it's really interesting, right? It should be obvious that the rights are with you, but I think it's still an area that's not very well defined. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how how that develops. I don't know if you have any yeah. any thoughts about that.
1: No, I mean, I, I, yeah, I think it's a great point. It's something we were just discussing earlier t- today with my team, which is, you know, even, even the kind of little bits of carbon legislation that, and policy that we see coming out today on, on the continent, they seem to be very forestry focused, I would say. And um, they they kind of, um, there's a still a lack of awareness at just how different um, forestry projects and, and cookstove projects are, um, whether it's from a carbon rights perspective or a perspective of how, how do you return the value of that carbon back to the um, communities who are part of the project. They're, they're very, very uh, different and kind of capturing that nuance when awareness of carbon in general is still... Um, still nascent is, uh, it's a challenge. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. It'll be interesting to see how it develops, but yeah, we've noticed the same policy tends to start with forestry and then, you know, advance to to other project types, but I haven't seen a lot on, on cook stoves. I wanted to ask you, you've mentioned a little bit uh, that, you know, you have operations and, and are working across, across Africa, it'd be great to hear where Bern is interested in expanding to and hearing a bit more about, you know, the geographies you're working with today and where, you, where you're where you considering expanding.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I guess, yeah, we think about expansion in a few different ways. Even if you just look at the 10 countries that we operate in today, um, there's still massive untapped potential. Uh, so I think you, just one of the ways that we think about expansion is, well, how do we really deep dive in in these markets and make sure that we're you know, especially in order to make an impact on deforestation, that we're as fully saturating these markets as as we possibly can? So I think that's one of the first things that we have our eyes on. But of course, there is beyond those ten countries there are still there's still a massive unmet need across the rest of Africa and and large swaths of Southeast Asia as well. So um, those are all kind of on our map as we look out over the next five or ten years. I think and chris was, can I just can yeah, I just follow
0: ahead. up on, on going deeper what is the what's the challenge in in what do you think is needed to to go deeper
1: yeah uh, well if i guess there are a few different um kind of sides to that challenge uh, so one there's a there's kind of a there's a uh, direct relationship with the financing so in this case carbon financing that 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 flows in so you know every additional dollar of carbon financing that we bring in is you know that's also allowing us to get out another another stove. so that that's a very direct and linear um, kind of relationship. Of course, there are operational challenges to scaling those operations as well, but I think the beauty of our model is that um, once you have the basic pipeline built, uh, the the basic setup in terms of uh, you know how we typically set up in a country is, we set up our distribution operation with a kind of uh, tree structure of, you know, country managers all the way down to last mile field agents. Um, and that structure is is very replicable um, to, to new regions as, as we grow it. Uh, we also set up, you know, uh, a call center and an after sales uh, support uh, unit and an MRV team in the, those markets. But those teams are all, again once the the big hurdle is setting them up in the first place and not, not then scaling them beyond that. So when we go to set up in a market, we go in assuming that we're going to be there forever. And that makes, uh, it makes the initial setup harder, but it makes the kind of scaling, uh, once we're there a lot, a lot easier. Um, so yeah, I think probably the main, the main, um, kind of rate limiter there would, would be on the, on the financing side to, to going deeper. Um, the one other piece that we're kind of exploring now is how do we bring even more local value add into those countries, which can also then lower our cost, uh, to deliver, uh, stoves into those countries. So for instance, at the moment, not only do we have our two factories in Kenya, but we're now setting up a factory in Nigeria and, uh, late in the year, we'll also set up another factory in Ghana and these will allow us to deliver products at even a substantially lower, uh, cost to end customers than, than before, which obviously also will have a, a, um, knock on effect on our ability to, to go deeper.
0: No, that makes no sense. And sorry, I interrupted you. I think you were going to say something else about expansion.
1: Yeah, well, I guess there's the geographic expansion. Uh, but then I think probably how we more, how we think about expansion is, uh, in terms of, uh, technological, um, expansion. So, you know, burn innovation is in Burns DNA, and um, we're all, we're constantly iterating our products to be better suited to um, the the users in the markets that that need them, and adding more and more products to our to our portfolio. Um, I think electric is probably the best example of this today. It's a place where we're growing very rapidly uh, in in electric cooking. We've we've spent the last three years developing a custom range of electric cooking products that are highly efficient and, again, highly usable. Uh, And the beauty of this solution in particular is that there's no deforestation associated with using electric um, cooking. There's no indoor air pollution. So all the health benefits uh, or or health costs of of cooking on open fires can be completely eliminated. And um, maybe most importantly, from the perspective of the end user, uh, we've also found that in most of the markets we operate in, electricity is also the cheapest way to cook for them on a running uh, basis. So they can, so families can cook in a way that is um, the most affordable for them with no knock on health effects and no knock on environmental or or climate change impacts either. And so that's, we we see that as a a really kind of beautiful comprehensive solution from that um, perspective. And we're currently um now distributing these high efficiency electric stoves across four countries and scaling that up very rapidly. so I think that's an area that we see um, a lot of growth in uh, coming into the next few years
0: amazing that's that's really great to hear. I wanted to ask about the follow up on the geographical aspect, and I was really curious about how is it that you assess and choose where you're gonna move in, where you're gonna Uh, start working next from a a country or region perspective what what is that you're looking for
1: yeah yeah well I guess I go all the way back to kind of uh, what is burn burn ultimately is a social enterprise and we're founded on this mission of saving forests and lives and so we're really when when we look at this question of where to go next uh, we look at where the problems that we hope to address are most acute Uh, this is and I think this maybe sets us apart a little bit from some other um, players in, in, in the market, um, but it's a really fundamental kind of piece of, of who we are. Um, so we're looking at where is deforestation really the most acute, where is um, you know, poverty the most acute? And these, are, these can often be places that are, that are difficult to operate in, but for those reasons are also incredibly important for us to, to operate in. I mean, it, as an example, even um, when we look at um, Kenya, for instance, you know, even within Kenya where we look to expand and where we look to distribute stoves. Well, we've actually stopped distributing in most of the major urban hubs like Nairobi today because we don't see that there's really a, um, uh, a long lasting clean cooking problem in these areas. We're seeing that at least in Nairobi and a couple other similar areas, um, Clean cooking uh, is now growing fast enough that it's not necessary for us to be there. So we're moving out (laughs) of the major cities and we're moving in to the the rural areas and the more far flung areas and the areas that have much more acute um, fuel crises and don't have access to other like clean fuel supply chains.
0: Thank you. Uh, This is going to be a very work interview question I have next for you. Where do you see burn in five years? (laughs) Everyone, no, I don't like that question. Uh, if I was asked that question, I wouldn't like it. But I'm still gonna ask it to you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I make a point of never asking that question in, in interviews, uh, even though I know people always have their their answer um, prepared. Um, <laughs> but but uh, no, I, it, especially for for a business, it's a, it is it's an important question, um, right? We we have to set this vision to make sure we're driving in the right direction every every day. You know, I think I mentioned we just crossed this three million stove milestone. It's kind of striking if I go if I rewind five years, we were probably somewhere in the ballpark of three hundred thousand stoves distributed at that at that time, so we've kind of seen a ten x growth in um, stoves distributed over these five year, last five years, and into the next five years, I would expect to see about the same where yeah, when we talk in five years, um, we should have uh distributed around uh thirty million stoves i i would I would think um you know, And along with that comes a lot of other things. You know, Not only do we have these new factories in Nigeria and Ghana, but we should have facilities set up to produce biomass stoves, electric stoves, LPG stoves in several other um, countries across the world. And going back to the electric cooking, I would expect by that time we've really moved that to a highly scalable, uh, highly scaled solution where we're in the tens of millions of homes who've adopted a burn um, electric cook stove. Um, so those are some of the kind of more tangible areas that I, I, I would see us um, in the next five years or so. But, you know, again, ev- innovation is is really built into our DNA. So I'm sure when we talk again in five years, there will be um, other technologies that we're rolling out um, at scale that uh, we haven't even really thought of today.
0: That's really exciting, I really look forward uh to yeah continuing working together and and yeah following the your 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 trajectory. um, uh, my very last question is you know what challenges do you think developers like Bern will be facing in the coming years what what worries you the most, not just you but maybe similar developers?
1: yeah, um well, I think yeah, there probably is a shared um a lot of shared concerns M- most of the challenges though I think we we see. Really as opportunities um, we' we've kind of we, our work has been nothing but challenges from the from the very beginning and and the whole ethos of of the company has been how do we tackle these challenges one by one by one um, so if anything, I'm kind of looking forward to some of the new challenges that we have coming coming up in the next few years. I think the one of the big ones that's probably on all of our minds in in the space is is financing and and how do we see that you know the the funding flows into um, well, in particular, clean cooking projects um, continue to grow rapidly. The, the, the funding gap is still massive for these kinds of s- solutions. If we want to, um, we can nearly eliminate like the emissions impact and the deforestation impact and the health impacts uh, and the poverty impacts that go along with cooking on open fires. Um, but just by one estimate, by the Clean cooksto- Cooking Association's estimate, we need, um, I think it's in the ballpark of $25 billion uh to achieve that goal of 100 percent universal access uh to clean cooking and at the moment we investment in the space is hovering somewhere around 100 to 150 million per year so we're off by a couple orders of of magnitude still and that that definitely keeps a lot of us um up at night where we're just not um, eating into this problem anywhere near the, the rate that we that we need to um that being said, I, I feel like in some ways we have kind of reached a tipping point here where now we really are proving out at scale the impacts that um, these types of projects can can have. And I think the results that we'll see come along with that, like from the study I'd um, mentioned earlier that was done on um, uh, burn stoves, I think we'll see more and more of these, um, these, these studies coming out showing that, that yes, indeed, even in, even at an on the ground level um this impact is is really profound and and hopefully that um then acts as a catalyst to drive even more funding into the space
0: that's great i I said it wasn't like my last question, but I actually another one popped in my head as you were speaking, and you know, given how important the finance from carbon credit is to to your business and being able to carry out the activities you're doing um if you had one message for a company that's you know considering. Ah, uh, purchasing credits, but not sure what project type, um, and maybe interested in cook stoves What would be your you know high level pitch to them? Uh, how would you convince them that you know this is the right type of project and Burn is actually the right company? Yeah. To be to be pushing.
1: Yeah. Um, um, oh, you're really putting my sales pitch on the on the spot here, Paul. But uh, you, well, yeah. It's. Um, I think. You know one of one one of the big things for us is you know assuming if you're looking at buying carbon credits, it's because you you care about making an impact on on the climate change uh problem that we're that we're all trying to work on and and uh, in that from that perspective again, if you're looking at a burn project, it's a project that creates impact for the actual people who are being most affected by by climate change um and it's doing it in a way it', it, it that um where there's no other alternative kind of tool to make that impact, so you know, uh, getting somebody in in rural uh, Congo a cook stove, that's not part of any company's uh, internal you know scope one or or scope two emissions. It's not, so so it's not going to kind of happen on its own, even if we drive um, a lot of action on on companies and countries reducing their own. Um, Emissions, so it it really requires these alternative funding mechanisms to to make that impact happen, and it makes a very direct impact in the people who are most vulnerable to uh, climate change in in the first place. And on top of that, it comes with you know it's not just reducing a ton of CO two if you know if you buy a, a cook stove carbon credit, it comes with all of these other benefits that are really so important um, for the long term health and sustainability of of the world. Um, the, the health benefits and the poverty benefits and the gender benefits that, that we've been talking about. Um, so I think in that way, it's really, it's something that touches just so many different um, facets of impact and um, yeah, can, is a really um, kind of profound solution.
0: Thank you so much, Chris. And thank you so much for taking the time and indulging with my questions. I really, really enjoyed the conversation. And uh, I look forward to to staying in touch and continuing working with you.
1: Yeah, it was a real pleasure, Pauline. And yeah, um, I look forward to talking to you again.